0: All right, so the, the one question we didn't get to finish before we uh, move on tonight. How do you discern the genuine salvation of your children? And then related, when should you baptize them? It's a little two for one. How do you discern the genuine salvation of your children? When should you baptize them? And I'll just offer some basic thoughts, and hopefully there's some wisdom scattered in there as well. But it, it's a good and common question. It's only natural and right for Christian parents to raise their children up in the faith. I mean, you're instructing them in the word of God over and over again. You're sharing the gospel with them over and over again. And in time, they appear to respond. In time, they they appear like they're little Christians. But since they're children, you're still not quite sure how much they truly understand, how much they're believing on their own. If they're just going along with this because of you, you wonder if they really believe for themselves. And also their faith has never really been challenged or tested. So you still wonder if it's the real deal. All in all, you find yourself wanting to be optimistic about their salvation, but you wonder how you are to know if they're truly saved or not. Well, discerning salvation in children is really not all that different from discerning salvation in adults. It starts with what? So it's always going to start with a confession of faith. The confession of faith. Have they made A confession of faith. There's no salvation apart from faith in Christ. That's kind of the obvious starting point. Any child or adult must believe in the gospel to be saved. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Romans 10.17, faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of Christ. A natural starting point would just be to, to, to have some conversations with your children to try and ascertain the status of their Faith. I mean, first things first, have they even made a profession of faith? Have they ever made a claim to believe in Jesus? One that wasn't just kind of coerced by you? If not, then, well, you wouldn't obviously have any real assurance that they're saved. Just continue in your efforts to keep teaching them the Word of God, sharing the gospel with them. Again, you're going to try and lead them right up to the door of salvation, show them the way to enter. But you can't make that final decision for them. God must open their hearts and they must enter in. But let's say your child has made a profession of faith, though. We're just going to run with that. You have a child, maybe a little bit older, they have made a profession of faith. They tell you they believe in Jesus. All right, that's good, but you're going to take that further. What exactly do they believe? Can they rehearse back to you some of the basic truths of the gospel, even in a simple form? That's important because I think we all know children, especially young children, can be pressured to believe pretty much anything. I mean, you t- tell a bunch of kids in a Sunday school room that they need to believe in Jesus or else they'll go to hell. They're all going to believe in Jesus. You're going to get a lot of decisions for Jesus real fast. <laughs> They're all going to raise their hands saying they want to believe. But w- we're not interested in that. We're not interested in manipulation or coerced confessions. We're just trying to if, uh, discern rather, if the seed of the gospel has truly been planted in their hearts and germinated and come to life on its own. The new birth is an invisible reality. I can't see if it's happened to you just by looking at you. I can't see into your heart or your soul. But the new birth does come with some clear effects that can be observed over time and can be drawn out of someone. The starting point, though, is always going to be with what a person says, what comes out of their mouth, their profession Because right off the bat, if someone cannot verbalize the gospel, what assurance can you really have that that they are trusting in the gospel to save them? They can't tell you the gospel, even in a basic form. You're really not left with any assurance that they're saved by that gospel. When our son Noah was about four or five, I would tell him the same truths of Jesus and the gospel over and over again, and and I would say, "Do you believe that? And do you believe that? And do you believe that?" And he'd all say. Yes, but then at separate times when he was unprompted, unhelped, unassisted, I would ask him, like, so tell me what you believe again, and how does someone get to heaven, and, and he couldn't really muster get together any response, and that's okay. I didn't expect him to get it all that young, have everything figured out, and even then I can't make him understand or believe, but if any person, adult or child, can't really answer the question on their own, you know, what must I do to be saved? you can't really have any meaningful assurance that they're saved. It's just the most fundamental question that of our hope, we're saved by our faith, a trust in Christ alone to save us. And if someone can't can't verbalize that, can't give any words to that, you kind of stop right there. Salvation is not by works, it's by faith in Christ alone, a heartfelt trust in Christ's person and work. Consequently, the assurance of salvation is likewise based primarily in faith. Nothing is more sure than God and his word. It's more sure than my experiences, more sure than my emotions and feelings, even my deeds. And scripture says, like John six forty seven, he who believes has eternal life. And so you have someone who, who is not believing or cannot verbalize belief. How can you believe that they have eternal life? And it's kind of obvious, but you know, you're going to start with their confession of faith, verbalization of the gospel. Can they explain to you what they believe and why? It can, what can they give, give to you? So, like I said, just have lots of conversations with your children about what they believe. Unprompted or, or rather uncoerced. You're not leading them. You're not giving them leading questions, leading them to all the right answers. Just, just see what's in there, what comes out when you ask. What do they know? What do they believe? What's their hope? What are their fears? In what are they placing their trust? We spend a lot of time, especially early on, placing a bunch of truth into them. It doesn't all stick. A lot of it just falls out or leaks out. Only by having conversations and asking lots of questions can we discern what actually remained inside of them. And so you're going to have to do that. Ask lots of questions. Not in a, a judgmental sense or even a high-pressure sense. Just like what's inside of you? What, what do you believe? What, what will come out of them? So that's where you start. But let's complicate things a little bit. Let's say your child has a solid profession of faith. He or she has professed belief in the gospel and they can verbalize the essence of the gospel. Maybe beyond the basics, they can tell you some, some good doctrines, some, some serious belief. Does that, does that mean they're saved? Well, as with an adult, discerning someone's salvation always starts with their confession and their hope in the gospel. But it does go beyond that. It will involve their life. That's because scripture teaches there's an unbreakable connection between true faith and new living. The one who is born again will live like it. We're not saved by that new living, not saved by deeds or or works righteousness, but the faith that saves will always yield to a life of righteousness over time. And that's a natural consequence of new birth that we would look for over time. Just like James says in his epistle, faith without works is dead. James 2.14, he says, what use is it, my brethren? Someone says he has faith, but he has no works. Can that faith save him? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. Verse 17. James knows only faith can save. We are only saved and justified by faith. But that type of faith, the type of faith that produces no works, that, that type of faith cannot save. That's not faith of the saving variety. That's a dead faith. That's a a phony faith. The the saving faith, the faith of the saving variety will always produce works. It will always yield fruit. Fruit of obedience, fruit of, of righteous living. That doesn't mean we're perfect. We still sin. We still fall short. But even here, the true believer will yield the fruit of repentance. They'll show a new sensitivity to sin and they'll fight against it. So these are some of the things you would likewise look for in your child. Here perhaps without knowing it you're really just delving deeper into the doctrine of the assurance of salvation. It wasn't too long ago I taught another Sunday night series on the assurance of salvation. Maybe you need to get that to learn more. But in short assurance is all about how you know that you are saved. It's not how are you saved? It's how you know that you are saved this is where, for example, the book of First John is so helpful because that's the explicit reason First John was written. That's his purpose, First John 5.13. He says, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. He's talking to people who already believe in Christ. He's not writing that they may believe. He's writing, he says, that you may know that you have eternal life. It's all about assurance. And he helps them discern their assurance representing three tests in his little epistle. The test of truth, love, and obedience. All founded on faith. Faith is the ground and the ultimate foundation of assurance. But when it comes to our life, truth, love, and obedience. You know, tests test of truth. Do you believe the truth? The test of orthodoxy. Do you hold to essential truth like the deity of Christ, the humanity of Christ, and so on? Do you retain orthodoxy? The test of love, do you love others like Christ? Do you love your neighbor as yourself? Do you show a genuine self-giving love to the brethren? And the test of obedience, do you obey God? Do you follow his commands? Do you repent when you sin? Overall in your life, do you walk in the light or do you walk in the darkness? The test of obedience. And throughout First John, he helps us evaluate our faith and test ourselves to see if we're really in the faith. It's really akin to 2 Corinthians 13.5. We're commanded. It says, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? It's it's natural. It's good and right for Christians to examine themselves and for us as shepherds to help our children do the same. The fact of the matter is, it's possible for people to be false believers, In fact, according to Matthew 7, 21, not a few, but many will be in that category on the day of judgment. That's what Christ himself said. It's not not a, a wide gate that leads to life. It's a narrow gate. There are few who find it, but there are a bunch of people on the broad path going through the broad gate thinking they're going into heaven. Many will call him Lord, but many will be cast out. They're deceived thinking they're saved when they weren't, the proof was in their life, a life of habitual, unrepentant sin, a life that, that bore no fruit. We know this, and that's obviously the last thing we want from our kids. We're not trying to coerce confession. I don't care if they sign a card or, or just get baptized. We don't, we don't want just the exterior veneer of Christianity. We want new birth, like the real deal. I can't do that for them. I don't need to try and make that happen. I don't need to desperately try and make that happen in my kids. You do that, you add all that pressure and try and coerce them. That's a pretty sure way to make a false believer and give them false assurance. Only the Lord can change their hearts and draw them in. But your job as the shepherd will be to help them examine themselves, test themselves to see if they're in the faith. Of course, you're ministering the gospel over and over again. And regarding children who've made a solid profession of faith, not in a judgmental sense, but as their shepherd, you're going to basically kind of present them with the assurance of salvation. Walk them through testing themselves, examining themselves with your oversight to see if they're really in the faith. What does their life, has their life changed according to the new birth? Help them examine the fruit of, the li- of their lives as you do the same. Is there any re- genuine spirit wrought fruit in their lives? Do you see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Do you see repentance and brokenness over sin? Do you see true worship? Do you see a desire to read God's word, to study, to seek God, to commune with God in prayer? Do they only do these things because you tell them, make them, or on their own because they want to? Have you seen new desires crop up? It's easy to kind of play the part but left to themselves, will they seek the Lord when there's, there's no pressure, there's no reward, there's no consequences, just on their own because they want to? Is there any fruit? That's a strong test. Do you see a love for the church, for the people of God? Do you see a concern for the lost, even the beginnings of personal evangelism? Just carefully examine the fruit of their lives. And then give it some time. The hardest thing about I think discerning the, the salvation of children—that makes discerning the, the salvation of children much harder than that of an adult—is the whole issue of time. What I mean by that is, since they're young, they haven't really lived long in the world, and that means most children are, are just protected from the pressures and the afflictions of life in the world. That also means they're untested; their faith might be real but it's untested and so it's hard to know if it's the real deal it hasn't gone through the fire yet i'm not sure what's going to come out on the other side they just they haven't been tested and that always leaves us uneasy we don't get to see how their faith would respond to hardship because they haven't faced a lot of hardship i think most children and christian families are fairly well protected especially if they're homeschooled they're in a safe little bubble of of the christian world I mean, of course they believe. Everyone around them believes the same thing. But what happens when they launch out into the world? What happens when they're exposed to all the other religions and worldviews and they realize, wait, not everyone believes what we believe. Oh, wait, most people don't believe what we believe. They think we're crazy. What happens when they face many attacks against our faith, against the scriptures, against Christ, against creation? What then? How will they respond? We don't know. We haven't faced such tests yet this can make it a little hard to know, truly know where they're at or more deeply know where they're at. Remember the parable of the sower or the soils. And remember the seeds sown on the rocky soil. Jesus said that represents a person who hears the word and then immediately receives it with joy. It means at first they sprung up. They looked like the real deal. They looked like a, a genuine plant, a real plant, a real believer at first. But, give it a little time. Initially, they spring up just the same way as the seed in the good soil to the outside observer. But what's the kicker? Matthew thirteen twenty one. Jesus said, yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. Uh, then you, you find out who they really were, where they're really at. They're tested, they failed, and their faith was never genuine to begin with. Same thing for Matthew thirteen twenty two, the seed on the thorny soil and the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns. This is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word. It becomes unfruitful. Our kids haven't faced that yet. Not faced the temptation of riches, the worries of the world, a host of other afflictions and pressures that that draw you away from Christ, they're untested. How will they respond? Don't know yet. But the seed sown in good soil will withstand those temptations, those afflictions, those tests will pass. Their their faith will be refined like pure gold. They'll pass through the fire and they'll bear fruit of different uh, varieties. And so it goes with children, time will tell. I think we can just say this, to the degree that they're exposed to such tests and to the degree that they pass, your confidence in their salvation may grow. Just like their confidence in their salvation may grow. This part of assurance that to the degree that they're exposed to such tests and pass, assurance may grow. Some parents desperately want to remove all hardship, all tests from the path of their children and that desire to protect them. And, And sometimes you should, but other times, don't. Within reason, allow them to be tested. You can use those as opportunities to see what's inside of them, what comes out. Shepherd them accordingly. It's important. That's valuable information. That I would say I'd like to see that while they're still in the home, that I can reach them, no matter how they respond to that test. I don't want their first time of real testing by the world to happen in college when they're out of my sight. Lastly, though, when it comes to discerning their or your salvation is perseverance, which is, you know, related to all this. Do they persevere in the faith? Because obviously if if they fall away, if they stop believing, if they no longer profess, well, you have your answer. But do you see your children persevere in their profession of faith with each passing year, with each new trial? That's the ultimate test of assurance. And it just continues all lifelong, all throughout life. I mean, really, how do we know any person is saved? We can't see inside anyone's heart. It's an invisible reality. All we have to go by is this, their profession of faith in the gospel, the fruit of a changed life, and then their perseverance until they die, until the very end. That's what we go by. And as we see these three things, the blessings of assurance may flourish. And so it goes with our kids as well. We'll discern those and help them discern those and gain assurance. Ultimately based on just trusting in the promises of God, but gaining assurance that our faith is real will come as we examine our lives. If you want to learn a little bit more about that, again, I'd urge you to perhaps go and, and get some of those messages on the assurance of salvation. It's really the same question just for kids. One last note though to finish up here on baptism. Because someone asked, you know, basically discerning when to have their children baptized. And different Christians will have different convictions here. And largely leave this to the discretion of parents. But to share maybe a little wisdom, that this is going to be a wisdom and prudence issue. We, we don't believe in infant baptism. That's clear. But we do believe in a believer's baptism. And look, the pattern in the book of Acts is that as soon as a person professes faith in Christ, they understand the gospel, that's clear, and they profess faith in that gospel, they're immediately baptized. But what about kids? What about a five-year-old who seems to do that? Do you just baptize them then and there? The problem is New Testament says nothing about childhood baptism. There's a few texts that mention a whole household was baptized, but still, no kids are explicitly mentioned. It's just an argument from silence. We don't know one way or another. We just got nothing to go by when it comes to when to baptize children in the early church. I can mention uh, the very act of confessing Christ was risky it came with a high cost, the cost of your life, persecution. And that just, the high cost filtered out phony believers. They, they were faced with the test just at the moment of faith. And that filtered out a lot of false believers. And that's why you see in the early church, far fewer false believers, false professions, false baptisms. We know that's kind of flipped today, at least up until recently. The cost has been extremely low to claim to believe in Jesus in America. It's easy. There's no consequences, no risk. And that's led to, I think we all would probably agree, more false professions, false baptisms. It's understandable. And I think why is that parents want to guard their children against such a thing, a false profession, and, and thereafter perhaps a false baptism. Especially since Baptism will imprint a salvation experience in the minds of their children, rightly so, like we learned this morning, actually. And so if you administer baptism before they're truly saved, yeah, best you can discern, you might run the risk of building into them a false assurance. All this goes to say, there's no magic number. There's no magic age. There are some who advocate just waiting until a child is 18. They can make a a full-fledged adult decision themselves. And I think there's some wisdom to that. But generally, we would say as soon as a child understands and desires to be baptized, and as soon as their parents can reasonably attest to their salvation, we would permit them to be baptized. This is going to be a case-by-case issue. It's it's always a shepherding issue. There's no real broad brushstroke we're going to use here. We're going to work in conjunction with the parents as the primary shepherds, pastors of their kids uh, to discern their salvation. It is true. Baptism is for believers, and belief uh, belief is not only after you cross 18 years old. It's kind of magic number. God can save someone as he wills, and as you discern that, as your child builds that assurance of salvation, it is wise to guard against a false profession and a false baptism. There's wisdom there. We would work with parents case-by-case basis to cross that line and have uh, your child baptized. Okay, well, that'll do it. We'll leave it right there as just an addendum, a little postscript for our biblical parenting crash course. Just that one question we begin to answer. I'll finish it there. I'll finish this in prayer, and then we'll move on to something else right now. So let me do that. Lord God, we, we thank you for your word and for your testimony and all you have said in your word about parenting. You've given us this great gift, really second to our salvation, and that's just our children a delight to our souls as we reflect you in creation, creating these beings. We know you're the creator, but you use us to bring life into the world. And it's a marvel and it's a wonderful thing. You've made us their stewards and you've called us to be found faithful and we pray for just that. Help us all here and all that we've learned over these eight weeks to to be found faithful. Faithful stewards of, of your children. One day you're gonna take them back and and they'll give an account, but so will we as to how we stewarded them. So uh, after everything we've learned, or I just pray you impress upon us the need to be faithful, to carry on, to excel still more, raise them up in, in the way they should go. Be with us, fill us with your spirit to do this work that they too might be filled, saved, and, and made disciples of Christ. That's our greatest desire and that would be our greatest joy. We pray for your blessing there. But thank you for all our time together and truly uh, bless this study and may it uh, build, uh, yield fruit in our lives as parents now as the months and years go by. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.